0: Chapter 3 of Arona Hey, Troy, get up, it's your shift, said Covey, as he woke me up. It felt like I had just fallen asleep. It was my turn to keep the fires burning and watch for the wild animals. Drew and I stayed up the rest of the night, continued chasing off these little white, fox-like creatures. They kept getting more daring, trying to nip at the dead. The forest was alive at night, and it felt like every animal within miles knew of our peril and was out to score an easy meal. Finally, it started to get light. Cubby! Jack! Get up, guys. Let's go. We need to start moving everyone down by the lake. We won't last up here much longer. The animals are getting more aggressive, and we need to get everyone away from all these dead bodies before tomorrow night, I said, walking over to where they were sleeping. Yeah, we can't hold off all these animals agreed Drew, and once they finish eating our dead, they might turn on the wounded. We're lucky no big game has showed up yet. Okay, okay, I'm getting up, said Cutney. You know, I was thinking, we should load up everything we can use on these pieces of the plane and and drag everything down by the lake. He started to load up one of the large metal plates that had come off the plane in the wreck. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, um, I've been thinking, I think we need to get away from all these dead bodies, said Larry. "'We're sitting like bait for that ape, I'm telling you,' he grimaced, putting his hand over his nose. "'Yeah, that's what we're doing. You can probably smell it from—' "'Hey!' hissed a woman that was hugging a child. "'Watch what you say around people!' The child began to cry, softly into the woman's shoulder. "'What are you—' then I stopped. I realized that while all my brothers were accounted for, so many of the others had lost loved ones, some their entire families. I lowered my voice and turned to Cubby. Load up everything and and get the others to help too. We spent all that day loading up everything we could carry and dragging it down the steep mountainside. We searched through the wreckage and collected every piece of luggage and anything else we might use. Once we reached the lake, Jack started coming up with a plan. We need to open up all the luggage and make an inventory of what we have, he said. Do we have any pen and paper? We also need to talk to every survivor and figure out who has skills that might be useful here. We need to clean and dress all open wounds, and cut off the smell of blood, and then keep all food outside our camp and up on the trees." Jack had a knack for leadership. He was the boy genius type that seemed to know everything. He started a tech company in his early twenties and sold it for a fortune not long after. He's used to leading thousands of employees, and is great at seeing the big picture. Plus, he's our oldest brother. "'and we'd all gone to him our whole lives for advice. "'Let's build a huge bonfire right here by the lake "'and keep it going 24-7,' he continued. it would be really easy for us to be seen out here in the open.' "'Guys, look!' said Larry, "'as he pulled some items out of a large bag. "'I found a collapsible fishing pole! "'It's broken, but we should still be able to use it somehow. "'Al and I sat next to these guys who died in the crash that, "'that built homes for refugees.' I remember them saying that they had to check all their supplies because they were building in the middle of nowhere. I bet there's some really useful equipment in here. That's great, said Drew, as he smiled as Larry handed it to him and continued to search the other luggage. Look, here's a small axe! After the rest of the survivors reached the lake and we'd finished going through everything, we sat around the large fire for the first time as a group and introduced ourselves. Some started to cry as they tried to talk. Others wouldn't speak at all, Jack took the lead and conducted the makeshift meeting, something he was accustomed to doing. We've all been through a lot. Many of us have lost loved ones. We're still alive for a reason. We have to keep fighting and not give up hope. Help is coming. It has to be. Until then, we need to work together to survive. All able bodies will be given tasks tomorrow based on your skill sets. Are there any questions or objections? Uh, yeah, I got a question. Who made you our leader? asked a big man with a South African accent, who I hadn't really seen up to this point. We did, said Drew, standing up in between my brothers, Larry, and some of the others we had been working with. He's good at it. Unless you think you can do a better job? He looked taken back at Drew's confrontation. I'm not sure, but you're right. That's a fine plan for now, he replied. He looked around at the crowd and sat down with a somewhat defeated look on his face. This made me a little uncomfortable. I've always hated any type of confrontation. I would have offered to put it to a vote, but that's not Drew's way. When he makes up his mind, he's determined. I guess he had already decided Jack would be in charge. He really looks up to our oldest brother and knows how smart he is. "'Okay, then,' continued Jack. "'Let's all get some rest. "'We have a big day tomorrow.' "'Assignments have already been made for tonight's watch. Good night, everyone.' "'He then limped back over to where we were all sitting. "'Nice work, Jack,' said Covey. "'I think we need to keep morale high like you're doing, "'but I also think we need to be prepared if that bear, whatever it is, "'and those other animals, come back,' continued Covey. "'We're in the middle of nowhere, "'and these animals are aggressive and not scared of us. "'I was talking to this guy named Geoff, "'who's worked in construction all of his life. "'He used to build log cabins up in Alaska and some other places.' He said we could build a type of perimeter wall that creates like a semicircle and touches the lake on both sides. He also said that with all of our manpower and the axe and the saw and the other tools left over from the luggage, we could get it done and be protected in no time. It was no surprise Cubby was quickly getting to know everyone. Unlike me, he's the most social guy I know. Being super friendly and talkative comes naturally to him. I was more the quiet one in my family and usually just became friends with my brother's friends. "'That's a great idea,' Drew replied. "'Not only will it keep us safe, but just as important, it'll keep us busy. Give us all a sense of purpose and hope until the rescue arrives. We don't want people to start panic any more than they already have.' "'We'll start first thing tomorrow,' said Jack. "'You and Geoff come up with a plan tonight, and I'll start coming up with assignments like fishing, firewood, water collection, first aid, etc. with Drew, Cubby, and Troy.' "'What about me?' asked Larry." Larry had quickly become a friend to us all. He was smart and always eager to help. The next day, at first light, we got to work. Teams were put together with assigned leaders, and before long, we started to work like a well-oiled machine. People were coming and going in every direction, carrying goods and supplies. Morale picked up as the sun came out for the first time. I didn't sleep well that night. None of us did. We could hear animals fighting over the dead bodies near the wreckage up above us. I'm glad we moved. The terrible sounds of the night further motivated us to work quickly as a group and start our perimeter fence the next morning. Geoff, the guy Cubby had met, became the head of construction. He was an easily likable guy, just under six feet tall, with friendly eyes and short brown hair. He was always wearing a smile. He had a deep understanding of building and a great adaptability with available materials we had. Before long, a type of wall was starting to form. Holes were dug and large branches with smaller trees were put in the ground. These were then connected to one another with makeshift roping, twine, and vines from the forest, forming a solid barrier about twelve feet high. (laughs) Of course you're in charge of making weapons, I said with a laugh walking over to Drew and a few other burly-looking guys who were carving long spears with a small hatchet found in the luggage. Drew had been obsessed with weapons for as long as I can remember. Even as kids, he was making spears and swords out of everything he could. As an adult, he had a collection of guns that would make any soldier jealous. "'Well, you know I hate eating fish,' said Drew, smiling back at me. "'I'll probably kill that bear, too. Maybe find us some venison.' I kept walking, heading down to the lake. The water was clear and crisp as I took off my torn-up shoes. I walked a few feet out and bent down to wash my hands. I could see large fish scatter a few feet ahead of me. As I watched the fish swim away, a glimpse of something dark in the water caught my eye. I reached down and picked up what looked like the top of an old pike, like something you'd see in a museum. Beautiful, isn't it? This lake is untouched, said a voice behind me. I turned to see a pale, dark-haired woman around my age, maybe in her early thirties. There's fish everywhere. It's so pristine, she smiled at me. I'm Freya. We volunteered to be in charge of fishing. And I'm Robert, said a slightly chubby, dark-haired man, walking up from behind her. Have you seen the fish we've been catching? No, I haven't. You've got to see these over here, he said as he walked towards a large, plastic bin we had taken from the plane, now full of water. He reached in and pulled out a huge fish that hardly squirmed in his hands. "'What is that?' I exclaimed, my mouth gaping in awe. The fish was jet black and huge. It had to be at least 15 to 20 pounds with glowing blue eyes and scale-like skin that changed to a bright, almost neon pink color as Robert touched it. "'I don't know. Nothing like we have back home in Sweden, that's for sure. And we've been fishing our entire lives. They sure are easy to catch, though. I can pick them up out of the water with my bare hands.' The lake is full of them. We cooked one up already and it tastes great. Not a fishy taste, but still tastes fantastic, kind of like steak. I walked back over to where Drew was and asked him if he had seen the fish. If anyone knew what type it was, he would. He'd been obsessed with animals his entire life. Drew looked down at the fish with a confused look. I have no idea. I've never seen anything like that. This place just keeps getting weirder and weirder," he said. It's too big to be a black moor goldfish, and and those eyes, they're they're glowing, man." His mouth opened slightly in amazement as I touched the fish and the neon pink coloring followed my hand. He motioned with his head for me to follow him. When we were out of earshot, he started talking again, only this time he lowered his voice to a whisper. "'I don't know, man. I I don't want to get people panicked, but, but something's really wrong here. These are animals and plants I have never seen before. And you know me, man, I'm like an encyclopedia when it comes to plants and animals. I know, I was thinking the same thing, I just don't know what to make of it, I replied, totally baffled. And look at this old pike, it looks like it's a hundred years old, I found it in the lake. That's really weird, he said, taking it from my hands. It's not just those things, it's have I mean, you noticed the nights seem longer and the days and the water tastes light and airy, the trees don't look right, that lightning, I've seen bugs that don't exist, I mean, the list just goes on and on. I really don't know, I said. I think we just keep saying that we must be on a small island where things are really different until we figure this out. I mean, that's possible, right? Maybe, said Drew, but I don't think so, unless it's some undiscovered island full of undiscovered wildlife not found anywhere else, which seems possible. Well, what are they then? I asked. "'I don't know. I just don't know. Nothing makes sense, and I can't come up with any logical answers.'" Just then, we heard a commotion from the area where the wounded passengers were lying down. Back. We hurried over to where a fight had broken out between two of the you younger men. "'Stop it!' yelled out Drew, grabbing one of them and pulling him to the side. "'What's going on here?' "'He stole my mom's silver lighter!' yelled the younger of the two. I grabbed his tattered shirt and held him back. "'No, I didn't. I put it back with your stuff when you guys were sleeping, I swear!' said the larger of the two. This wasn't the first time a fight had broken out. Yesterday morning, an argument had started because a woman thought another passenger had stolen her broken watch during the night. Calm down, both of you. It's it's possible you just misplaced it. How do you know he stole it? asked Drew. I didn't steal it. He said I could borrow it last night to help start a fire. When I came back, he and his mom were asleep, so I just put it by their stuff. Go ahead. Check my pockets. Check my belongings. That's okay. I believe you. I'm sure it will turn up. Drew turned away to head back to the lake giving me a look that told me we had more to worry about than just the animals. Several days went by with much of the same, as we continued to improve our camp. Late one night, I sat around the main fire talking with my brothers, Larry, Allie, and Geoff. With no rescue in sight, we had to figure out what we should do next. We'd finished the perimeter fence, and it looked great. Geoff had done a really good job. Every post was at least 12 feet high, and each one was sharpened at the top making it difficult for any intruding beast to get into our camp. They were even fastened together with strong vines that, when wrapped together, made a rope-like material. The fishing team had no problem catching plenty of fish for us all. The small hunting team, Drew was in charge of, had brought back several large deer-like creatures that added to our food supply. Drew said the deer weren't even scared, and that killing them made him feel guilty as he could walk right up to them. We needed the food, though. The three bonfires which Drew said signaled distress had been lit the entire time, and we had plenty of firewood. Everything seemed to be going really well, considering our situation, except for the most important thing, there was still no sign of a rescue. Four more people had died over the last days, and our scouting teams had climbed several of the nearby mountains and seen nothing but endless wilderness in every direction. There were also others who continued to question the strange animals, Long days and nights, and plant life. Only now, they are being more vocal about it, which caused confusion and anxiety in the group. "'What I wouldn't give for my chainsaw back home,' said Geoff, as he picked at his large, blistered hands. "'Taking down these giant trees with an axe and saw is hard work. "'I guess we're lucky to have them, though. "'You and your team are doing an amazing job. "'It's only been a week, and you've already finished the fence, built a cool lookout tower... And look at this table, I said, slapping the large table where we all sat at. The table was basically just a crude platform of thicker branches tied together, but it worked. I'm just getting started, Jeff replied with his thick backwards accent. Soon sure you all be sleeping in beautiful cabins and using bidets instead of pine needles, he joked, as he let a, a deep belly laugh. We all laughed with him. I would never go up on that lookout tower, I thought to myself, looking up. It's basically just a tripod of long logs buried partially in the ground with a makeshift platform fastened to the top and notches in one of the logs to get up. I've always been afraid of heights. Some people are getting really antsy, Cubby said to Jack. That one guy from South Africa, I think his name is Clint, the one that asked, like, who made you leader? He said he's going to leave with a bunch of others and try to find a town or village. Well, I say let them go if they want, replied Drew. They can do whatever they choose, I already told them that. I don't know. I think for him, he just wants to be in charge, and I can tell he hates that we're calling the shots here. Plus, he and his friends are troublemakers. It's actually better if they go. Besides, if they find something, they'll still send help, right? Drew and Clint have been at each other's throats since the first day. I was worried there was going to be a fight soon. They'll die out there, said Larry. I'm telling you, if you saw that ape thing, you'd understand. Yeah, well, more than one of us have tried to explain that to him," said Jack. It's up to them now if they stay or go. There is one important thing we need to discuss before they go. We've had something go missing almost every night since we've been here, Drew said. I think we have a thief. The only thing I can come up with is that it's Clint or someone close to him, and that they plan on taking all those things when they leave. Yeah, that's definitely possible, especially since there's been really valuable items like lighters and a knife. Those losers muttered cubby. We need to catch them before they leave. Yeah, and we need proof, I said. I have an idea. It's simple, but it might work, said Jack. He suggested we gather up all the valuable objects each night and put them on the table. At night, we'd publicly assign one of us to watch over the table, but then that person would purposely fall asleep. The rest of us would take turns watching over the table in secret. That evening, we made the announcement and collected all the valuables. Almost everyone was more than happy to give up their objects for safekeeping, as they had seen so many things disappear over the last week. Cubby and Drew had the first night's secret watch. They stayed up all night and saw nothing. The next morning, another item was missing. It had been taken from one of the ladies, who didn't want to give up her watch to be placed on the table. She'd slept with it on her wrist. Either this thief is a pro or she sleeps like a log, I thought to myself. And yet, who would do such a thing in these conditions, and why? Why? The next night, it was clear the news had spread about the missing watch, as the table was even more packed with personal objects and everything else of value from around the camp. Drew was right. The night seemed to last forever here. I could barely keep my eyes open during the long hours of my secret watch. We'd better switch the shifts tomorrow night, I thought to myself, as I laid there trying to stay awake. I thought of home. This experience had been a nightmare. But I found myself not even excited to return home. I was really looking forward to this trip. Going back home just meant back to the responsibilities of life. I was past due picking my major in college and still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I loved art and I've been sketching my entire life, but I did not know how to turn that into a career. I knew I couldn't work for my brother's company forever, nor did I want to. Sometimes life back home just, just felt like an endless cycle of the mundane, and even though I had seen terrible suffering and I missed the comforts of home, The adventure was strangely exciting. The camp was especially quiet. All I could hear were the sounds of the crackling fire and the ever-present howls of the mysterious animals outside our barrier. My eyes begged to be closed, but I continually forced them open, worried Jack would fall asleep on the other side of camp. I couldn't really see him, but I knew he was there. He slept on the other side so that we could see the entire camp. We all loved Jack. But there's a reason we all jokingly referred to him as the bear. He loved to sleep, or hibernate, as we called it. All that thinking must cause him to sleep more, or maybe it's just because he usually works forty straight hours before he sleeps. Uh, I couldn't chance it. Many hours into the darkness, I thought I heard something from above me. Pssst. I looked up and see a shadow in the lookout tower. I knew it must be Geoff as he slept there twenty feet above. I knew he must be trying to get my attention, so I quickly looked over at the table. I couldn't really see anything. It was nearly pitch black. The bonfire was reduced to embers. Then I saw a dark shadow move under the table. I stood up as quietly as I could and slowly started to walk over towards it. As I got closer, I could see Jack's shadow heading in from the other side. The dark figure quickly climbed up on the table and started going through the objects. It looked small, like a child. Jack must have stepped on a branch on the ground. The figure turned, and I saw him approaching. Ah! yelled out Jack, rushing towards the table. The figure ran across the table, away from Jack and towards me, knocking objects on the ground as it did. I hurried towards it as fast as I could. I mustn't have seen me come because it jumped off the end of the table and straight in my direction. I threw out my arm, and it hit the thing in the chest, knocking it to the ground. Uncle Conch, it screamed out in a strange raspy voice. I grabbed its arms while I tried to get away. The next thing I knew, Jack had its legs and Geoff was wrapping rope around it. It continued to mumble things I couldn't understand, squirming violently. It was still dark, but just starting to get light. ''Hold it down!'' yelled Geoff, struggling to tie up its legs. I sat on its back with Jack's help and pulled its small arms behind it. It was then I noticed long curly hair and the strangest thick leather clothing. For the first time, I got a look at its bearded face. To my surprise, it wasn't a small boy, but an older, rugged-looking man I'd never seen before. He was tiny, no more than three and a half feet tall, and mumbling some language I'd never heard. My mind raced. Who was this mysterious man alone in the wilderness, and and why was he stealing from us? Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed Chapter 3 of Arona please take a second and rate it in iTunes. It really helps. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share my podcast with your friends. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in Chapter 4. Thank you.